0: snap out of war psychosis before Dutton drafts our kids and the 1970s coup you're paying for at the petrol pump coming up on today's show. Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 29th of April 2022. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director and Victorian Senate candidate, Robert Barwick. Welcome. Thanks, Thanks, Elisa. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share and make comments on the video. Get this out as widely as you can. And on today's show we're going to be discussing the drumbeat for the war with China and why we lost, why Australia lost control of our own resources and how we can change that. Now, before we get into today's uh, topics, we wanted to mention, uh, as everyone's experiencing for themselves, the incredible cost of living crisis um, that befronts us at the moment. Uh, Australia now has 5.1% inflation rate. Uh, and this boat does not bode well for interest rates, which will, of course, affect people's mortgages. The RBA is supposed to keep interest uh, inflation, I should say, at between 2 and 3%. So next Tuesday, when they make their decision, they're likely going to raise rates. Well,
1: the inflation rate that the people experiencing is even higher. It's annualised it's 8.7%. And, it's, and based on what we know about how they cook the books anyway to understate inflation, the real inflation that people are experiencing is... Would be well over ten um, percent, mm. right? This is a serious, and Elisa, we probably should be making the show about that. Except the two big issues mm. the Citizens Party is always focused on in terms of dangers, which is a war and um, economic crisis. It's all happening at once, and they're related. And um, but today the the real urgency. We'll talk about the war danger. Mm. We'll probably do more of this next week. But this is this is getting out of control, including the. This wholesale electricity price increase up to one hundred and forty-six percent in one year in the east coast of Australia. I mean, this is bananas, and and the Morrison government's going around saying we've got electricity prices down. Um, This is what in runaway inflation. This is how it starts, right?
0: Mm. And reports just I heard on the radio this morning that one in every six Australians don't do not have enough food. So you know the crisis point we're coming to. Uh, has to be urgently addressed. And we will talk about this a little bit in the second segment of the show in terms of how Australia could actually, by regaining our sovereignty, uh, could actually have control over prices in a much more...
1: Well, in the last 12 hours, I've had people who are very well connected and in, um, in politics and industry uh, texting me, talking about how we need infrastructure. Mm. We need a national infrastructure bank that can fund this stuff and make sure that our ability to supply for ourselves at reasonable prices, um, is assured. Because at the moment it's not. We're at the mercy of all this and we're going to, have to change it. But if we want to make it possibly worse, let, let our politicians mm. talk us into war. And that's why we yeah, should talk about that.
0: dramatically worse. So the first topic, snap out of war psychosis before Dutton drafts our kids. As you said, this has been brought right to the front burner um, the war danger that is in the last week. We put out a media release yesterday to avert war. Australia must adopt an independent foreign policy. Uh, and also I urge people to go to our YouTube channel and to watch our live stream from last night, which will be up there uh, for viewing uh, on foreign policy. And that addressed many of these issues in greater detail. We answered You answered a lot of questions from the viewers on various aspects of this Um. Well,
1: we've been warning about this for um, a decade. We've been saying, for a decade, we've been saying to people, look, the strategic direction of Australian policy is taking us to war with China. As I said last night, that's the grounds on which we began a collaboration with the late Malcolm Fraser, who had exactly the same concern. He warned it would be a nuclear war. But for a long time, um, it was like a schizophrenic thing because the Australian politicians who were doing, who were engaging in a strategic direction with the United States that was leading us to war... At an economic level, we're very enthusiastic about China, Mm. right? Now, that's changed drastically just in the last few years. But for a long time, people were saying, you know, what war? You know, of course, war is unthinkable, but, you know, what war? Well, it was already bad because of the last few years. This week, Mm. our country lost its collective mind. And we are now discussing war as a real thing. What we warned you about, it's here in the national discussion. And... You better take this seriously because this lunatic Peter Dutton, and we'll play what he said and talk about it, yeah. um, you know, what's he going to do next? Declare a national draft? And in fact, a Vietnam vet yesterday called his office and said, ask Mr Dutton, I've heard a rumour that he's about to declare a national draft. Because he remembers what it was like to be drafted in the 70s with the, with the lottery based on your age. Happened to my uncle as well, right? It was... An awful thing that was done to uh, that generation of young um, Australians. Um, but it's real. Mm-hmm. It's real. It's deadly. You're forced to go to war. It's worse the, you, you hate mandates? That's the worst one. Do not put it past this government, this guy, the, the way they're talking this week, that's next on the cards.
0: Yeah, so this came to a head this week over the um, supposed crisis in the Solomon Islands because supposedly the Solomon Islands is inviting China to set up a base there, which is in fact not true. Not true at all. Uh, But Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, called this issue a red line and he declared, we won't be having Chinese military naval bases in our region on our doorstep. He said, I share the same red line that the US has when it comes to these issues. So he didn't actually speak to why it was an affront to us, but just mouthed the line that this is what the US wants us to do. Now just by way of backdrop, as we said, you know, this is not a real concern whatsoever and I'll read out the actual wording of the agreement uh, that was signed between China and the Solomon Islands and it merely formalises an existing ad hoc arrangement that has been in place since the riots that happened in the Solomon Islands last November where the Chinese had to uh, protect their people and interests there. So the actual wording says, quote, China may, according to its own needs and with the consent of Solomon Islands, make ship visits to carry out logistical replenishment in and have stopover and transition in Solomon Islands and the relevant forces of China can be used to protect the safety of Chinese personnel and major projects in Solomon Islands.
1: That is not a military base. And frankly, it's pretty similar to a a similar deal that, that uh, Solomon Islands has with Australia, right? And all they're saying is we can, have, we can have more than one partner. We're a sovereign country. We can have more than one partner. Because Australia is not a sovereign country, we don't, we don't, we don't know what that means. Mm. <laughs>
0: yep. And
1: we, we're saying, you know, we're accusing them of all kinds of things. Yeah, we think we
0: can dictate to them um, <laughs> uh, they can be our little underling and that we can control things but of course, in a broader geopolitical picture. And the
1: giveaway, Elisa, before you go on to Dutton, is that what Morrison said, this is America's red line.
2: Mm.
1: America decides, when it comes to these these matters in the Asia-Pacific, what our foreign policy is. That is why I say we're not a sovereign country. He said it in his own words, right? It's always, I'm standing with the United, all the way with LBJ kind of stuff. This is America's red line. And you know what that means? By their actions on the, in, in their rhetoric on the Solomon Islands, America, Australia, Peter Dutton, Penny Wong, all of them, have justified Russia's red line in Ukraine. Because if we, if we deserve to call the Solomons a red line, Russia absolutely declared to, to, uh, deserve to call Ukraine a red line.
0: Mm. And so Peter Dutton um, brought this up uh, on Anzac Day. Um, and he we're going to show a clip... Uh, from him where he talks about how we have to prepare for war. Uh, but he started off by talking about um, you know that we can't rule out world war. Hitler is not consigned to history. Putin has shown you know he is willing to kill women and children. Of course he didn't mention none, none that. of our wars no. in
1: Afghanistan killed Libya, any women, any children. Iraq killed women and no, children. None not millions. Never no, never millions. not in Vietnam. Never, never done that. Never not Australia. <laughs> never
0: um, when, so, a,
1: when a, when a, when a, a conflict, in, when women and children and civilians die in a conflict in Ukraine, that means Putin is, is deliberately personally killing them.
0: Mm. So it's all about Russia and China, and we'll come after. We'll show these clips, and we'll come back to the the real intent of brewing and, and uh, whipping up these wars. Uh, is this is part of a geopolitical game to um, put China and Russia into a corner?
2: We have to be. Uh, realistic that that people like Hitler and others aren't uh, just a a figment of our imagination or uh, that they're consigned to history. Uh, We have in President uh, Putin at the moment uh, somebody who's willing to kill women and children and that's happening in the year 2022 and I think Europe's really been startled by uh, what's happened there. It's a a replay and part of what's happened in the 1930s and you don't need to over-egg it. Uh, The Chinese are through their actions, through their words uh, on a very deliberate course at the moment and uh, we have to stand up with countries to, to stare down any act of aggression to make sure that we can keep peace uh, in our region and for our country.
1: How are you going to um, handle that? Because, look, I know it's, it's difficult to talk about this on Anzac Day but it is happening. Um, you're setting up a red line in the Solomons. I'm sure our, our diggers, it sends a shiver down their spine um, when they look at the potential of all of this but
2: how will you possibly stop it? Well Carl, the only the only way uh, that you can you can preserve peace is, is to prepare for war and to be strong as a country, not to cow and not to uh, you know be on bended knee and uh, be uh, you know weak. That's that's the reality.
0: Let's be clear. Uh, the prospect uh, of a Chinese base less than two thousand kilometres from Australia's coastline uh, is dramatically detrimental to Australia's security interests. Okay, so that was Peter Dutton, and we also heard from Penny Wong there. Well,
1: that's the worst bit, Elisa. Penny Wong is the opposition. When, the, Like Dutton has just said, we're preparing for war. That's what he announced, our defence minister. we're preparing for war. With China, people. 1.4 billion people in China. That's what he said, we're preparing for war. And when... When someone in government goes certifiable and loony, mm. you would think the opposition would be combating that. No, this opposition, Penny Wong, the climate is so hysterical in Australia. She's trying to hype the threat even more by what she that that description of of um, the Solomons is like 2,000 kilometres away. That's no strategic threat to Australia, but especially like I said, by comparison to to uh, what Ukraine was to Russia, which they have roundly condemned. Um, This is not the the opposition trying to show different leadership on this. This is trying to hype it even more. Mm. This is nuts.
0: Now, just take for a moment, if we were to say, all right, we have to prepare for war. (laughs) How prepared are we?
1: Well, bear (laughs) in mind that that politician, Peter Dutton, his boss, Scott Morrison, who I expect doesn't feel very secure as Dutton's boss. No one would feel secure as Dutton's boss. Dut- um, Dutton is Darth-, is Darth Vader without a helmet. Morrison is not the emperor, <laughs> I can tell you. Morrison would be uh, really intimidated by Dutton. They have, they're, on a lib- they're a liberal government that's been in power for seven years, right? So just let's see if their actions match their rhetoric. They're, they're saying we've got to prepare for war. Well, let's look at the basics, people. What's our fuel reserve? We have, a tw- we have 21 days of fuel supply in Australia. The International Energy Agency, virtually it's, it's strong advice to every country to have 90 days. We have 21 days. What's the excuse of that? We are a free market economy. These people want to run our economy as a free market and have given us 20 day, 21 days fuel supply. It is insane. And they're the ones saying we've got to prepare for war. They refuse to lift a finger To actually get the government... We'll talk about this in the second uh, item as well. Um, You know, they're so ideological. No, no, the government shouldn't step in and take over a section of the fuel industry to guarantee your fuel supply. No, you can't do that. The only thing they did do was buy a strategic reserve. So we do actually have what's called a strategic reserve in Australia. Where is it? It's in the United States. It's in a cave in Georgia. In an actual war, this guy, his boss, have kept us completely vulnerable through their damn ideology. They don't care about Australia's security. They are the threat to Australia's security. Manufacturing. What's the state of our manufacturing? That's how you, you want to defend yourself in a war? You better be able to manufacture for yourself. What's the state of it? This government said to the car industry, go on, piss off. Go on, yeah, go on. We don't want you. A car industry is the single best industry to be able to quickly retask to, to produce munici- munitions. That's why Detroit was the arsenal of democracy in World War II, Mm. right? These people, ideological saboteurs of our economy, are the ones leading us to war. Sovereign military capability, and this is a little bit more complicated, but people should understand. There's a term that gets reported in the press all the time about interoperability. Everything the Australian military buys and develops has to be interoperable with the United States military. What that actually means is the United States military controls our military. Mm -hmm. We've spent 20-something billion dollars on these F-35 Joint Strike Fighters. First of all, they're lemons with wings. Second of all, in order to work, they actually have to have a backup plane that helps do all the electronics in the air with them at the same time. America sold us a Joint Strike Fighter but won't sell us that plane. We can only use it in a war... That we're fighting alongside the Americans with. We have no sovereign military capacity and and the the AUKUS nuclear submarines is the same kind of rubbish, right? That's what these people have done to our country. They have stripped us bare on every front. They do not care about Australia's security. They do not care about your security. China is not the threat to you. Peter Dutton's a threat to you. The man who said, we've got to prepare for war.
0: Now, Um, In your interview on the 31st of March with former Australian ambassador, including to China and other places like Iran, John Lander, and you'll be doing a a second interview with him today Today, after this show, which people should stay tuned for because the response to his first one was extraordinary. But he warned in that initial interview that Australia would end up being a proxy for the United States to fight China if indeed a war proceeds against China just as Ukraine is right now, for NATO to fight Russia. And he pointed out that if this were to go ahead, you know, it's a case closed yeah. that Chinese missiles would destroy whole chunks of this country. So why or why is there a push for war? Um, well, as we said in this press release we just issued, it is to assist the US and the UK to embroil its main adversaries in costly wars and to retain their dominance in this unipolar world order that is r- vastly and rapidly collapsing. Um, secondly, to weaken China and Russia, as US Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin admitted this week, is the US strategy in regards to Russia. Yep. And we've just seen figures coming out that it looks like the US has continued to keep arming Ukraine to extend this war for as long as another, up to a year.
1: And it's their own admission, right? And. Um uh, Rand Paul the US congressman just had a fight in Congress with Anthony Blinken where he said you deliberately set out to trap Russia in this war because you wouldn't you, you claimed you were taking them their um, negotiations seriously and you weren't and yes yes we were but his own deputy Blinken's own deputy had already told Congress no we weren't we wanted to make sure that um, we provoked Russia as much as possible because now they're in the proxy war, and, Ble- and Lloyd Austin has said, yeah, now got- they want to keep this going for as long as possible, at least another year, to weaken Russia as much as possible. And the same mentality, the same schemers, have exactly the same plan with China. Their number one proxy will be Taiwan. They're hoping to provoke China to invade Taiwan by getting people in Taiwan to declare independence. That is a red line for China, right? Um, because that's not independence, it's secession, mm. That's actually what it is, secession, yeah. and it's why Abraham Lincoln declared a war in the United States that killed 640,000 Americans, because America would not let a big chunk of its own territory secede, and China will not either. But, so, so the, the, the Americans know, if they can go China into invading through getting lunatic politicians in Taiwan to declare independence, they'll get the war they want. They will feed Taiwan and they've got this buffoon down here, this dangerous buffoon, Dutton, who's saying Australia will join Taiwan in that war. Mm. And and as John Lander explains in that interview, the Americans can, the, the Chinese can shoot, shoot the crap out of Taiwan and the crap out of Australia and it won't escalate to nuclear war because they won't be directly engaging with the Americans. And the Americans will think, good, so we'll fight China to the last Taiwanese and the last Australian and weaken them terribly and we will maintain our sole super, mm. you know, superiority in the world.
0: So... We need an independent foreign policy. It's not just a good idea any longer. It is a matter of life and death, for potentially. And sure. um, we're going to talk a, a bit about this in our next segment. Um, so we'll move on to that. But just
1: just one last thing: people should look at. Um, we we wrote it for a reason. Go back to twenty. There's a, the latest updates archive on our website. Go back to 2020 and look at the series called the China narrative, mm. because what that explains is how how did it come to this. The politicians in Australia that led this shift were all doing the bidding of the United States and the United Kingdom. This is a foreign-imposed takeover of our country. We already weren't sovereign, but what I'll be talking to John Lander about um, later, Elisa, because John's from a generation that tried to assert more independence and sovereignty in Australia and foreign policy. He's going to tell some stories about that. Really, the interview will be up on YouTube next week. Make sure you tune in and watch it. Um, because we weren't always this way. This has been a sudden, drastic hijacking of our foreign policy, and um, we document all the key players in that China narrative series.
0: Now, an earlier hijacking or coup will reveal a little more about why we don't have independence and we don't have sovereignty. So our second topic is the 1970s coup you're paying for at the petrol pump. Um, Now, we're talking about the battle in the 1970s to re-establish National control of resources, Whitlam's plan to buy back the farm, uh, and more than the farm, the industry, the resources, everything.
1: Yeah. Now, Elisa, before you go through the details, cause, uh, 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 so we can get through it, we won't do justice to it, but this is an article in our publication here from um, last week. Uh What's it called? It's a significant one by Melissa Harris. The Petroleum and Minerals Authority, The Battle for Control Over Australia's Great Mineral Wealth. It's an excellent four-page article, but I want to preface it by talking about what came up in our show last night Um, because we were asked a question from Jeff in Tasmania about, you know, if if war is a danger, shouldn't we control our own resources? And, of course, there's been this narrative in Australia in the last decade that the Chinese have come in and been buying us up, except we documented... What they buy is next to nothing compared to what's already owned by the US and UK. And as Craig Isherwood pointed out, when the government, this story, pay attention to it, because when the Whitlam government tried to assert this control over our resources, so we have a sovereign Australian control over our resources, it wasn't the Chinese that he was in conflict with,
0: Mm. it was
1: the (laughs) Americans and the Brits. That's why this is a story about sovereignty.
0: Yes, indeed. Now, Whitlam's um, head of the Department of Minerals and Energy, which was a department he created, was Rex Connor, of course. And in a 1974 speech, Connor uh, showed the figures of foreign ownership, which was that 62% of Australia's minerals and over 70% of our crude oil and natural gas were foreign owned. Now, that seems terrible, but it's actually worse it's today. Worse now. <laughs> But what they laid out is the plan to drastically reduce that proportion and completely nationalise 100% of uranium, crude oil, natural gas and black coal and to transform Australia into a substantial exporter of both semi-processed and processed materials. Now to do that there were a number of interventions. They established a national pipeline authority in 1973 for construction of a transcontinental pipeline grid um, that could buy and sell petroleum, secure reserves, and regulate gas prices. They had a royal commission into the petroleum industry. They regulated exports of resources and their prices. They established the Australian Industry Development—sorry, the Australian Industry Development Corporation was already established that had been championed by Black Jack McEwen—but they expanded the remit of that uh, in 1973. Uh, and this kind of gives the flavour of it. Whitlam's made a speech to the Australian Mining Industry Council.
1: Now, this, this guy had fortitude. Let me put it that <laughs> way. I'll, I'll, I'll try not to be too crude. He is giving a speech to the people who he is taking on. He's mm. giving it to their face. Mm. Right. listen to what he, he said. He said,
0: we shall do business and we shall do it with honour but we do not regard the rape of our resources as inevitable and we certainly do not intend to lie back and enjoy it. We need to be satisfied that our mineral export policies and practices are in the best interests of Australia and our trading partners. Uh, right,
1: and people should consider what they the, the Whitlam government is probably the single most demonised government in Australian history. People, The, the leaders of it, like Cairns, Whitlam himself, but Cairns and and Jim Cairns, Rex, kind of these people, Um, the media did the biggest ever number on them. But listen to what we just went through. Mm, This was a patriotic government trying to assert Australian sovereignty over our own resources.
0: So the key agency, though, to pull that off that Whitlam created was the Petroleum and Minerals Authority, the PMA. Uh, its purpose was to explore and develop petroleum and mineral resources and promote Australian resource, uh, ownership, I should say, of those resources. This agency could lend money, it could purchase or lease land, acquire investments, it could borrow from banks with a government guarantee to yep. do all of this. Um, at uh, Whitlam said at the 1979 inaugural Rex Connor address that the PMA, quote, this is key, would distribute its benefits to the people of Australia. And that meant all the people, not just a few thousand shareholders, he said. Yep. Now, this was all opposed by big multinationals, industry representatives, even state governments who knew that they could lose royalties, which was all they had, not, not unlike today. Um, and the federal, federal Liberal National Coalition, who also opposed it, calling it socialism. Of, uh, co-
1: of course they did. But in, but in effect, this is the use of, as it often is, socialism as propaganda. They were protecting the resource companies.
0: Now, this PMA agency actually did a hell of a lot in a year, and you can read the details in the alert service. But it only existed for less than a year because the legislation that created it was overturned by the High Court in a case that was brought by three state, uh, by a number of state governments on procedural grounds. And so Whitlam was intending to reintroduce the legislation once those procedural issues, which was just a way of stopping it, it was just a technical a technicality. Yeah, it was, um, it, it
1: was not in breach of the Constitution no. at all. It was purely technical about parliamentary procedure. And this was a, this was a terrible ruling by the, the, the High Court. But the three, three of the judges mm. who made that On ruling the were then involved in the shenanigans. Behind the scenes was Sir Garfield Barwick and the Governor-General Sir John Kerr, in, in giving Kerr that, like Kerr used to use him as a sounding board of, you know, what's his legal basis for sacking Whitlam? Same judges were involved in those backroom discussions with Kerr.
0: Mm. So they brought, they were bringing the legislation back for the PMA to get it up again, um, but before that could take place, Whitlam had been ousted. Um, and of course, that ousting brings us to the loans affair just briefly, where the Whitlam government had wanted to raise four billion dollars for infrastructure. Now Rex Connor prepared estimates of Australia's proven recoverable reserves of minerals and energy estimated at five point seven five trillion. So that was pretty good security, he said. It was around was over fourteen hundred dollars for every dollar yep. they were borrowing. And this was the wealth of Australia against which we were wanting to borrow.
1: Exactly. So they're saying to Wall Street, we want to borrow $4 billion um, and... It's for this purpose. Investing
0: look, in this capacity,
1: look, you know, worth such here's and such. collateral, guys. Without
0: even processing, this yeah, is what it's worth. This is
1: what it's worth. Now, Wall Street and the City of you.
0: London refused to lend any money, even though we had an excellent credit rating, everything was above board. Um, Rex Connor uh, hit the nail on the head when he denounced the international forces that seek to enlarge further their grip on Australia's resources of minerals and energy. So, in other words... Uh, they wanted yeah. to invest in Australia's resources. They wanted to own them rather than us borrowing on our own credit, on the full yeah. faith of the country, to develop them. Um, and this led to the Whitlam government looking at loans from the Middle East and the loans affair. Uh, and of course, people like John Pilger have documented the CIA role in that. Kim Lani had come highly recommended by British bankers. So there was a, an instigation in this affair
1: but also, Elisa, but also, sorry, tragically, um, Jim Cairns wrote a book, Oil in Troubled Waters, about the loans affair. And he, he, had, he revealed in there what he later revealed to me, because I, I probably conducted the last ever interview with Jim Cairns um, before he died in 2003. And we published it in our magazine at the time. Um, uh, he knew Australia didn't have to borrow a cent from overseas, we could have used the Reserve Bank. Our own national bank—that's what we could have and should have used. But politically, mm. the Labor Party was weak and yeah. afraid to do that because of what happened to Ben Chifley 23 years earlier, right? And he knew that they weren't capable—they they weren't up to that fight, the big fight over who controls our actual credit. So they went with the loans, couldn't get them through the official channels, tried these other channels, and of course, it all blew up in their face.
0: Mm. Now, during this whole period, uh, one of the other things that uh, Melissa Harrison revealed in this article is the presence of um, a really extreme level, actually, of foreign interference from the United States through the Nixon-appointed ambassador to Australia, Marshall Green, who was known as the coup master for his role in US-backed coups in South Korea and Indonesia. And he had his deputy ambassador had stated in a cable that the PMA bill was of quote, the greatest importance to US interests. And there's documentation showing that they were monitoring this bill very, very closely. Um, Pilger actually documents that senior minister in the government, Clive Cameron, was told by Marshall Green that if we were to hand control or ownership of US multinationals to the Australian people through nationalisation, we would move in. Yep. And... Um, Marshall Green encouraged business leaders to oppose the nationalisation plan and said if they did, they could expect help from the United States. That was his words. Um, Similar, he had said, he pointed out, to the CIA orchestrated coup in Chile just months earlier. Yes. Now, Marshall Green even paid Rex Connor a visit to register his concern. Connor quoted Green in a speech saying, Australia was the world's most resource-rich nation. So this was what Green was eyeing off on behalf of the US. They wanted their hands on these resources. Uh, A US government report actually threatened Whitlam's plans would have, quote, a major influence over future foreign investment in Australia. And they could not let that happen.
1: That's right. And of course it did, because that was the whole purpose of the plan. We don't want you. Your foreign investment means you come in and own our resources. Um, And of course, the other one which this article documents the the Marshall Green role because this 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 was clearly the USA's principal concern with the Whitlam government, right? That their multinationals were going to lose were going to lose their control of our resources, and they weren't going to let that happen. But the Brits were the other factor, Elisa, because the the, the single biggest mining company was then called CRA, which is now Rio Tinto. It was Konzinc Rio Tinto Australia? We documented years later, it's actually owned by the Queen of England. She's a huge shareholder in it. The Kimberley Kimberley Diamond Mine in the Kimberley in Western Australia actually promotes in their promotional brochures for tours say this is the diamond mine owned by the Queen. And that CRA, was like the Americans, was going to lose its control over Australia's resources. And it was the Queen's representative, Sir John Kerr, Working, who had a background, as by the way, as an intelligence agent connected to British and American intelligence. Sir John Kerr, the Queen's representative, was the one who stepped in and sacked Whitlam after a year of conspiring with legal minds with others about it. Mm. That's the coup.
0: So, so that back then, sixty to seventy percent of our resources were in foreign hands. Well, today, at least twenty seventeen figures from a report that was issued. Uh, Australian mining is now 86% foreign owned. And a 2021 report written by Michael West, uh, independent journalist, said that from 2.1 trillion of our resources sold in the last decade, Australia received 9% of that money in taxes and royalties. So the wealth that belongs to every Australian um, that some mining company goes in and has a lease over and digs up and, you know, Got billionaires making billions of dollars out of what really should be providing for the future of this entire country so that we don't have to pay $2 for a litre of petrol, you know, or $17 for a packet of grapes, as I was nearly (laughs) made to pay the other day before I put it back on the shelf. Um, uh, You know, this is what we have to rectify now. And I want to give a couple of just contemporary examples because Indonesia, and this is in the alert service too, has just. um, They're the largest producer of nickel in the world and they've just, uh, well last year actually the President Joko Widodo announced that uh, they were no longer going to export nickel, they're not going to sell it. He said Indonesia will make a significant leap if we have the courage to industrialise and downstream our natural resources. For decades we have always exported our raw material and we must stop it. He said, we have discontinued nickel exports. Next year, we will stop exporting bauxite. After bauxite, we will stop exporting copper. After copper, we will stop exporting tin. He added that we have added value in our country. We have added value prices and jobs in our country. And that if we use finished products, it will generate 10 times the added value. And they used to have a trade deficit with China for nickel, for instance. By next year, they should be in surplus on that trade arrangement. And I'll just add that in Mexico, on the 21st of April, the Chamber of Deputies and the Senate passed a government bill to nationalise lithium mining. And nickel and lithium, these are some of the things Mm. in the most demand in the world right now. And uh, (laughs) some of the free traders of the world and various think tanks are not happy about both of these situations. But this legislation in Mexico declares lithium is an asset of the nation and its exploration, exploitation, extraction and use is reserved in favour of the people of Mexico.
1: Lisa, so I have to warn, uh, Indonesia, Mexico, Solomon Islands are all in dangers of coups. That was our experience. Regime change. Regime change. That was our experience. That's what happened to Australia in the 1970s. Regime change. Because we tried to do the same thing, right? You, The... the um, the Anglo-American global empire is based on London and Wall Street controlling all these resources. We are only able to be use them as uh, as exporters of raw materials, right? It's a colonial model, um, and they ship them to you know low um, wage places, etc., for other forms for the pro- the, the processing and whatnot. Um, and we don't get the benefit of our own resources. We tried to rectify that, and we had a coup. These, but, but these governments are saying, well, you know, they're looking at the United States and going, well, you're not the, what you used to be um, in terms of the power you once had before and all that sort of thing, and, and um, they're, they're trying it. But the United States, in, by intention, is still what it used to be, right? And this will, th- there will be a backlash to this. And, and the backlash will take the form. I'm warning every viewer you will start hearing a lot of news about the bad government of the Solomon Islands, the bad government of Indonesia, the bad government of Mexico. And i will tell you all sorts of horrible stories about them. And if you believe one word, you're a fool. Because that's how they do it. It's called manufacturing consent. And eventually there'll be a coup. That's how they'll try and do it. Countries like Australia need to stand up for our own sovereignty and resist that. And if you want an example of what the coup does, um, what happened after... The Australian coup, when Malcolm Fraser's government came to power, Fraser made this fateful decision to appoint a treasurer named John Howard. Now, we've documented a few things John Howard's done, did as treasurer under Fraser in recent times. This one probably takes the cake. He actually um, scammed Australians using an economic theoretical ideology to pay much, much more for petrol. We, had, we were virtually self-sufficient in petrol at the time. 70, the only stuff we really imported was the extra, were the different types of fuels that we needed. But 70% of our fuel was, was produced locally in Australia. And the Australian price was based on that um, local market. The
0: cost of production. The cost of
1: production. And the maximum price in 1978 was 21 cents a litre. But countries like um, uh, Italy was paying 49 cents a litre. Germany and Japan were paying forty-four cents a litre. Even the Brits were paying twenty-eight cents a litre. It was much higher, and so uh, what's his name? John Howard. He he had he had a a a, a, um, a two-pronged plan. One was he wanted to he wanted to get more taxes for the government, and he wanted multinational mining oil companies who produced oil in Australia, like Exxon, what we now called Exxon, which was Esso, in the Bass Strait, to make more profit. So he said. Australians getting petrol too cheaply we should, pay, we should be setting our petrol price at the world market price right And he actually then said that the amount of money that Australians collectively are paying less for oil for petrol products than the world market price is 800 million dollars a year. Now Baron and he called that a subsidy yeah. right And a subsidy to these neo- neoliberals is a dirty word. he said we're being, you the Australian people are being subsidized to the tune of 800 million dollars a year no. Our local price was based on what it costs to pump it out of the ground in Australia, process it, and put it in the petrol tank. Which was That's the, free the market. market. That exactly. was the free market. He was creating a theory to an economic and, and and he said, because if we don't have this global petrol price, then the use of petrol in Australia will not be the most efficient economic use of that scarce resource. We must do it. And he used this, this sort of like greeny language, yeah. right? But it wasn't greeny, it was justifying it as, a, as an economic theory. It's neoliberal. And the country swallowed it. Mm. they swallowed it. That was passed in the 1978 budget, right? And we artificially jacked up our petrol price and we've been paying for it ever since. And he was able to get some tax out of it and the multinational mining companies, oil companies were able to make a lot more profit out of it. That's the sort of thing that, and, you know, this is John Howard. I was blown away by this story because oh. imagine imagine someone actually campaigning for Australians to pay more to for something. pay more, I
0: know.
1: Right? It's, but that's what he did. And the in those days, more than now, because this is when neoliberalism was coming in and people worshipped at the altar of economic yeah. ideology. Now, it's 40 years later, we can say this whole thing has been yeah. a big pile of crap.
0: Mm-hmm. Now... You can read that whole story on the back page of this week's Australian Alert Service, so do call us for a complimentary copy if you haven't previously, and, or you can um, jump on our website. You can subscribe to get it every week.
1: One last comment, Elisa. The reason why we're still paying for it at the petrol, petrol pump is because after what happened to Whitlam, the Labor Party never went back mm. to old Labor policies. They, they they towed the line on this, and they've towed the line ever since. It's the Citizens Party. Yep. That is leading the fight to go back to those things that, that stand up for Australia's sovereignty, and that's why Jim Cairns sent me um, a, a handwritten note in about two thousand and two, two thousand and one. Uh, it would have been two thousand and one, where he said, "Robbie, the seat we were called the CEC then, Citizens Electoral Council. He said the CEC are the flag bearers of old Labor today. Mm. Right? It's one of the you know the the most meaningful things I ever received." Um, very, very wise uh, old man, uh, Jim Cairns. But then we even got, like I said, we, we, we got to know uh, Malcolm Fraser in his later years and he mm. also took a different view. He, it, later in life, Malcolm Fraser came to appreciate what Whitlam was trying to do because he understood that um, what, what what Australia was up against was this imperial model, which is a financial one. And he said that in a meeting with, with, to me and Craig Isherwood. He said, "You, your, your party has to show everybody that that this is... There's, a, there's the, the power up against is a is a corporate financial power mm-hmm. and it's global, right? He he, he said you know you got more time than me and as it happened we did. <laughs> so anyway this is this is the this is the reality. This is the fundamental yeah. political fight in Australian history and world history.
0: I urge you to go to our website and our campaign page for this election and get engaged. Contact the locals. There's a phone number there you can get in touch with us and we can put you in touch with them. Um, That's the show for this week. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week.
1: Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.